Welcome to Public Showering, created by me, Sophie Duncan. This is the only podcast designed specifically for pole artists, aerialists, and movers of all kinds who want to learn how to build amazing choreography, tell your stories, and be the best performer you can be. Part of my Sadasi creative coaching system, I'll help you unlock your full fierce and creative selves using professional dance, theater, choreography, and circus tools, plus a hint of real life backstage stories and some simple confidence boosting skills. Okay, everybody, welcome back to one of my first episodes of Public Showering for 2024. It has been a hot second, so I'm very sorry that I've not been around. But for the first one back, we've got a very exciting show for you today because you've not got one person, but two extra humans on the other side of this. And they are from the amazing podcast, Poll the Other One. Please welcome Sean and Lulu. Hello, my beautiful ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, basically over the last few weeks I kind of uh, met Sean at Venus Pole in London which is where I now teach so a little um, self-promotion self, um, self there um, <laughs> so if you want to come down hi and I didn't actually know much about Paul the other one um, until I got to know you and also Kelly who runs a studio so yeah. I think let's just get straight into that then so for anyone out there that's never heard of your podcast like what's the brief what is it yeah, sure. So, hello. Um, Paul, the other one, is a project I started from my parents' basement in Belgium when I was stranded there during the lockdown. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'd been pole dancing for a while, and I just noticed how much pole dancing had improved my mental health. Um, a pole is just a stick, but for me, it has been such a, like, one-stop shop for self-esteem, mental health, mind-body connection, loads and loads of stuff that I just wanted to talk about it um, and I wanted to ask other pole dancers how it has created positive change in their lives um, so yeah so I very awkwardly just started emailing people asking them to come <laughs> on zoom with me and talk about stuff um, and yeah, it ended up being conversations about how, so for example, the very first episode was with Kitty Valore, and we talked about, Amazing. yeah, we talked about creating a persona, basically. Mm. Um, the theme was fantasy, and Kitty Valore is a stage name, but Kitty used pole to build this amazing business and performer career. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the pole was a tool uh, for that. And then also we've talked to people about using pole in connection to political activism, for sex worker rights, or managing a disability building a business is a big one um i think kelly's episode was about overcoming fear um so yeah <laughs> and that was really fun and then eventually i got super bored and lonely just doing everything on my own <laughs> so i low-key blackmailed my dear friend lulu popperwell to coming and co-hosting with me and she's now here um in my bedroom held at gunpoint <laughs> doing this podcast yeah before we started chan said to me okay normally this is a red flag but we are going to be recording my bedroom <laughs> Advise you to say no to anyone else who says that. Yes, uh, especially <laughs> if any comedian asks you to do some work from their bedroom, just red flag immediately. <laughs> Get out there. <laughs> Get out. I know. Well, aren't we all just kind of, kind of like bedroom heroes to this? Like, I think every single thing that every best idea we've ever had has probably come from <laughs> some kind of odd idea. Like my, I, I say this on public showering all the time. Like it's I my bedroom right now is the one bedroom flat that me and my boyfriend share in London and we had a mezzanine built so that we could make our one bedroom flat into at least a room I can have a wardrobe and a bed wow <laughs> oh <laughs> hello <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know right can you imagine two whole pits of furniture in the whole room um, <laughs> no exactly so yeah but it's, it's super exciting that you're both here then because this is the first time that I've had another podcaster so I mean we're gonna well we're not this are we but we're saying this is the public showering version Versus Paul, the other one podcast. We said it's a. You used the word versus, yeah, so it's a fight, versus. Sophie. It's, yeah. a full, it's a full on battle between them. We're going to win. <laughs> I feel like. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what's going down, go, go, where, where we're going to go down the rabbit hole. Also, you'll get used to that. That um, Me making just lots of strange noises thanks to the wonderful dyslexic lists I have occasionally. Bonus. Good times. Um, <laughs> okay, then. I so. Like, could, I, um, could I also just uh, explain my place on the podcast a little bit just for context? Yes, so. yes please. Um, <laughs> Shan very sweetly emerged from, from her basement and brought me along. But uh, I uh, have never done pole. I'm not uh, involved in the world at all. So I think I my role is to kind of provide a voice for outsiders of what, what does that mean and, and make sure everything's kind of, I guess, accessible to 
people who don't know anything Love mostly that. mostly i'm here just to make a witty aside yeah. Um, yeah lulu is a cheeky little boy so, i'm just a cheeky guy <laughs> there is a thing though and it's always interesting to hear lulu's take on this because uh we've both been in the stand-up trenches for a long time um lulu is self-deprecating but she is a fantastic stand-up comedian amongst many other things right and, i want to yeah. get to that because the one thing yeah. you didn't mention about paul the other one is that actually both of you are comedians so again this is the oh, first yeah. time <laughs> That. Yeah. We just Oops. kind of missed that, that very that very important part of your podcast. The, the, I would say the biggest and main difference between your podcast and mine is that you're comedians and that's what you do. And that's we just the thing. felt it was like inherently obvious mm. from how <laughs> just the aura. <laughs> so Lulu, would you? I mean, let me know if you think this is an offensive word for you. But I would call you a muggle. Is that is that offensive? Is that stressful? I don't know. I don't want to trigger uh, anyone here. <laughs> Uh, in terms of pole, yes, I am an absolute <laughs> muggle. I mean, I, there's some elements of it that I do like do understand. So, for example, like I have been involved in like sex work activism and things right. like that. So that's not uh, a, like a foreign country to me. But no. yeah, in terms of like the stick itself, <laughs> absolute. I'm a I'm a Vernon Dursley all the way. Absolutely, um, live in. Okay, well, because I was only a landscape stick orientation person. <laughs> like yeah. a street, a bar, a skipping rope, fine. But vertical, no. Cannot. Lampposts, poles, that's out of scope. Yeah. The thing is, I'm totally here for people just recognising the fact that although we, we kind of, we love to glamorise pole because it is such a thing and it also becomes such a terroring, terrifying thing, but it is essentially, it's 40, 45 mils of chrome most of the yeah. time. That's all it is. <laughs> and like, the, what amazes me about pole, it, it, in everything is that this entire universe in whatever way you decide to make it yours is literally that 45 mils of chrome which to me is always just it's it's such a basic instrument it's it's pretty it's pretty boring as far as like if you think of like the circus so obviously i come from circus well you know you guys mm. don't know so much about me yet but we're gonna find out about that yeah but um, like my circus background like when i think of all of the giant apparatus that you have like uh like teeter boards russian swings like these trapezes and all this kind of stuff it's like such a basic instrument to be able to do so many incredible things on mm. so there you go okay tell me then about comedy and you guys because <laughs> before so as far as I'm aware of the timeline so far you did you get into pole like in lockdown or were you part of pole world before that and where did comedy come in so like Sean this is to you first and then Lulu come in yeah okay cool well so in a nutshell um I started doing comedy at university after having a complete nervous breakdown Excellent. Are connected great Who knows? <laughs> um, uh, but um yeah so I started um to be honest the main thing I've always wanted to do is writing like I always mm. feel like why am I not writing tv scripts how did I become a stand-up and now I'm a pole dancer what the fuck happened <laughs> but um yeah so at uni I started doing stand-up kind of by accident um and then I met my best friend Zoe uh, and we did lots of double act stuff for a while and um, I started pole because I was in London um, trying to get day jobs that were related to TV so right. yeah just trying to just doing that run of like oh another internship that didn't become a job blah 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 mm -hmm. and while I was between day jobs I started working in a strip club mm -hmm. there's not that much I mean this is a whole thing in itself um, <laughs> the kind of poll from strip clubs is different but related to what's taught in studios mm -hmm. I think yeah as you said it's such a broad church pole right. dancing and I'm really interested in what like yeah your perspective having come like from circus training to then use pole is probably completely different from my experience of yeah. like um, <laughs> yeah like learning pole in strip clubs and then like I'd been doing pole for three years before I even went near a studio actually the first wow. class I ever took in a studio was Kelly's class which was conditioning and I was absolutely <laughs> terrified um, yeah um, but um, why conditioning so, is the first class you chose like, you know, because the nice, gentle conditioning pole. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, would you like to make this more strenuous? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but so I kind of, um, I mean, I've been doing pole stuff and comedy separately. Mm. Um, and then, like, as I mentioned, in lockdown, I got stranded in my parents' basement in Belgium. Mm. And I didn't really mm. have enough work coming in full stop and what stopped me from going completely bananas is um, I just had my pole up in my parents basement I would take a class a week over zoom and then little classes and yeah just kind of it's what stopped me going totally mad um, and then when I came back from London I was still like you know I've been trying to build this 
career as a like stand up and writer like yeah. without pole included yeah. but um, my pole instructor who weirdly I saw last night that's quite cosmic but she was saying like <laughs> you have to put pole in the comedy stuff and I was just so defensive because I was like no pole is this like sacred refuge that I have um, right. I love yeah, doing yeah. it yeah I was like I love doing it just because it makes me happy and it gives me joy I didn't want to subject it to you know all the other things that come with um yeah other stuff that I was doing that Mm. I was more like well this is my job um but yeah then I mean long story short I came back to London I applied for some arts council funding to upskill as a pole dancer (laughs) yeah yeah sorry making a side here that Shan's entire personality is applying for funding that's what I tell you all the time I think it's every 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 artist in the world like I'm literally like knees deep in arts council funding or things that have been already awarded arts council and now I'm I'm applying for their funding via 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 so yeah welcome welcome everyone to the world that you never see (laughs) oh yeah totally i mean yeah that's the thing it's like when you're actually freelancing in the arts world it's 15 percent creativity 85 (laughs) percent admin um but yeah but to my like (laughs) surprise i got this grant and then i also um uh applied to do a show at um it was called like calm down dear festival of feminism at camden people's theater in 2022 great name. and i yeah it was fun um and i pitched them a i basically pitched them a show idea that was can pole dancing be funny i'm gonna give it a try um so then did that show um did some other stuff with the funding and then last year i did an edinburgh pole comedy show um and yeah and that's kind of the thing i'm most interested in is how you put comedy beats into poll right um and also so i mentioned this on the podcast we did with jay uh, that poll the other one did with jay lafferty who's mm-hmm. another comic who's been um using poll in her shows um both of us did it from a level of sheer obnoxiousness like basically her husband told her you can't do this like it won't work and she went fine that means i'm doing it yeah and i i had the same thing like people were just telling me that pole and comedy couldn't work together and yeah so just through being petulant and obnoxious I was like no fine that's what I'm doing which is a terrible way to exist (laughs) it's an awful way to live your life I don't think it is I I feel like every pole dancer I I mean to be honest I feel like probably a lot of comedians have to have this kind of like atmosphere about them because like whenever when anyone tells you not to do something every single part of you goes well fuck you I'm gonna do it anyway then like and I feel like if if, I was trying to think when we're like running up to our podcast okay what what does pole and comedy have have in common and I think it it, pretty much that attitude because I'm sure every single comedian ever got told like you're never going to make it it's never going to work never never's going to happen you're not that funny I think anyone that does poll basically faces most of those same things as like it's it's just for whores it's for this no one's going to respect you blah 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 and all these terrible things that come with it but actually I feel like when you just think about the environment of pole and comedy I think they totally live in the same universe of like it's never going to work yeah I agree and also neither career will impress your parents love hate relationship with hen parties uh, yeah. yeah yeah there's there's so much overlap and yeah I think um, I mean you could really get into a whole different sociology thing I think that so what another thing that comedy and Paul have in common historically is their sort of I'm using air quotes like low art form like I think what people right. sometimes still yeah, associate yeah. Paul with is quite sleazy because of people's conceptions of strip clubs right. and um, I mean stand up has been invented and reinvented so many times but it's associated with um, working men's clubs like patter in boxing matches it's not the same as like being part of the royal ballet or the national no. opera but it's also kind of migrated like you know now stand ups are playing the palladium um, right. But you still also have comics who are doing, you know, they're doing a twenty in a pub corner while there's still like the sport is on in the on yeah. the TV. Like <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think um, that like permeability, I guess. Um, that is interesting actually when you when you compare it like that. Like Lulu, as as a, as the pole muggle here, but obviously <laughs> as 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 yourself. Like how how do you see it? And actually, where did you guys sort of meet in this timeline? Like did when Sean said to you by the way I'm a pole dancer and a comedian did you have that like wait what (laughs) wait what do you do Um, so weirdly Sean and I were actually at uni together but we never met while we were there yeah so we um, I I must have met you at gigs or something a while ago yeah Um, and I I think it was we were my memory correct me if I'm wrong but we were we'd gone to see someone else's gig or I'd come to see you and someone else we were all having drinks afterwards and then we got talking about 
I think sex work activism mm. and then and then I found out that Shan had also done pole and so it was more a bonding ah, over like um rights for women <laughs> I'm also 100% sure that so I used to work at Sunset Strip in Soho and I'm 100% sure that one night I was working there Lulu was standing outside and you waved at me I'm 100% sure I have no memory of this but I have no memory of most <laughs> things um, but, but Sham was already had been doing comedy for a while when I met her I, did, I didn't start comedy till quite late in relative terms I was uh, 24, 25 uh-huh. um because I had the opposite of Jean said, oh, I started doing comedy because I had a mental breakdown. I <laughs> desperately wanted to do comedy. Right. I didn't do it because I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> um, like I had, I'd wanted to do comedy since I was 13. I, it's, it's just been like the only thing on my vision board. Really? Um, uh, I, I resent myself using the word. It's because Shan's vision board is right in front of me. My uh, vision uh, board right. is gorgeous. <laughs> I don't, I don't so have good. a vision board. I'm not that kind of person. Um, and um, <laughs> Lulu's vision board is actually just pictures of me on her fridge. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty. <laughs> yeah, but it, um, so I, I was kind. I was kind of a bit in awe of you because you um, oh, were you guys are cute. Con- like, oh. confidently doing these things that I was uh, relatively new at. Um, so yeah, I think then we just um, started seeing each other at gigs, and that and that kind of all happened. Um, You're very much on the so Lulu is a jobbing comic in the sense of like that's kind of your that's sort of well, your I job. Say, I say <laughs> yeah. it's it's my yeah it is my career in that I don't do anything else, but I also don't make very much money, so I just spin that however you like. Oh, Are we all here sometimes? Um, honestly, the, the, again, the world of arts. Yeah, yeah, and I think, it is my full time job. I would say, yeah, I think yeah. that is. Um, uh, in terms of income and also just the way that finances are structured. Um, so um, our friend who directed my poll comedy show, uh, mm-hmm. who's a jobbing comic, he said that pole dancers, stand-ups and wrestlers should unionize together because, <gasps> yeah, because the conditions we work in are pretty similar. And also um, there's a thing of the fees for, like, if you're doing stuff on TV, you're in a different, like, ballpark. But oh, for right, people yeah. who's, yeah, for people, who you know these performances or teaching or um i don't know what the verb is for what wrestlers do on a day-to-day basis pounding and maybe not (laughs) but um in terms of just like you know uh like people who it's like this is their livelihood um the conditions we work in are quite similar and also the fees haven't really increased Mm. since like fucking 2002 and everything else has shot up um so yeah i mean that has been what's quite unusual about um having one foot in i guess a bit more your world of like i guess what you'd call performance art because of like pole <laughs> and dance and stuff um the way that things are structured financially in that world are very yeah. different from yeah. comedy well i guess so uh this kind of ties into something i wanted to ask um which is how you got into circus and stuff but the other day i um I went to see Cirque du Soleil. Oh, which one? Like, Allegria, which is at yeah, Royal. Allegria. Yeah, Allegria. Yeah, and um, it was actually horrifying. I was very, very... I, no, no, the <laughs> show was brilliant. But I was going to say, I was like, wow, fuck, freaking hell, what, they, what happened? No, no, show, <laughs> the show was amazing. Three stars. <laughs> Sorry, no, I was very ill and was sick on the, on the steps of the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, and no! And then was just dry oh. heaving into my lap the entire time because my brother had spent 100 quid on the tickets, but um, uh, which I think great. was horrible for everyone around me. But and I, then, yeah, I got into circus. I got into circus purely for free tickets. That's what I yeah. got into as well. <laughs> but I was just wondering, like, what because obviously, like, some people, all they know of comedy is live at the Apollo, yeah. whatever. And <laughs> my my understanding of circus is, you know, on the, the high end, is things like, it's things like that. So I'm wondering, like, what are the lower down levels? How are people making money right. from that um, as a jobbing circus performers, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, it is really tough because you, you have so many different worlds of it. So, I mean, I guess let's let's start with i guess the the most formulaic let's say you went to um you did it like trad circus so one way to get in circus is you're literally born into the circus like your family work in the circus you are literally born in a caravan and you are literally working in a traveling circus like obviously they're not as popular anymore um but they wow so it's nepo babies nothing like art <laughs> <at all. laughs> no, exactly no um yeah there's like this there's a handful of trad circuses still going around you don't get them so much in this country but you, you can literally just be born into it and i mean I uh, in, in when I worked for 
Franco Dragon, which is basically it's Cirque du Soleil, but it's Franco Dragon was directing Cirque du Soleil for like ten years and then started his own company. And because he was already super mega rich, it was just already giant. But we we would have like circus babies kicking about. Like you know when when the show that I was in kind of got settled down, people you know had already been married before they got there and stuff, and and people became families. So there would just be circus babies, and there's nothing more entertaining than seeing a child literally standing on like a giant Russian porter that's you know designed to throw women up in the sky with this wow. teeny tiny baby in his hand that babies can innately balance they just it naturally they can um, is that true that babies. is a massive risk of an assumption that <laughs> <laughs> no okay from from zero obviously when they are completely zero they are just they, they are what they are those things I'm not sure about children hold up terrifying no. but once once a baby can basically learn to hold its its neck up like if you hold its feet it essentially can balance like it doesn't know why it doesn't know how it's doing it but it basically understands that okay now I'm standing because my dad is moving my feet underneath me <laughs> that's kind of, wow. that's kind of yeah they need to be able to hold their head so you know <clears throat> you know if you just had a child I wouldn't advise trying to throw them in the air yet um, but Hang on. are you saying that newborn babies should not immediately be given to the circus that's quite no. controversial <laughs> no, no yeah exactly don't don't just you know have a baby and go let's see if you get into Cirque du Soleil that would be ideal I'm so not surprised by the way about the idea of there being circus babies because when they were all standing around at the end of Allegria like bowing I turned to my mum and I was like I bet so many of those guys are fucking. Like, <laughs> what, what, what oh, I mean, politics come on. In this we've, we've, we've worked in comedy, we've worked in poll places, we've worked in clubs. Everyone's no, fucking always. Comedians like, never sleep with each other. That's no, absurd. Everyone's very clear inside all the time. So, yeah, so yep, that's, yep. that's one way to get in the because you're literally born into it. We don't share an ex. No, no, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's go down the rabbit holes of this. Um, but, yeah, so that one way is you're literally born into it. The other way would be kind of um, like, I guess kids now like I teach at the National Circus so there'll be people that have had an interest in, in stuff before they might have been acrobats they might have been dancers they might have been none of these things before and you can do a degree in it now which you know back in the day wasn't a thing so like I teach at the National Circus and usually these kids are very fresh very cute they're just like oh my god I'm doing a circus degree what the fuck is this this is super mm-hmm. fun um, but me I was a bit different so I um I was a dancer. Um, I, I danced since I was three because I was hyperactive and my mum just needed me out of the house, basically. So <laughs> so she kicked me into a, a very, actually, in hindsight, a very bad dance school. Um, like not in terms of the people and just in terms of we didn't really learn enough for what we were there what were for. You, what were you doing? Well, I guess all the stuff that, like, pff, you do when you're at dance school. So it's like ballet, tap, modern, freestyle, which, pff, God knows what that even is. Um, like, contemporary dance didn't really really exist so much especially if you're from the north of England that's just not a thing um, mm. and then when I was 14 we had GCSE a GCSE dance teacher come in so I, I took GCSE dance and then I was like oh my god there's this thing called contemporary dance what's this and that for me was mega fun because um, like I don't think that I'm I'm definitely not a comedian, but I guess I've I have a humour in me, and I realise in contemporary dance there's other things like physical theatre, which is super fun, and then you can start being characters. Because I always wanted to be an actor, but then when I got to the age of like, should I go to dance school or drama school? I decided to go to dance school because I was like, well, it's I guess you can be an actor kind of forever. You can't be a dancer forever. Which, in hindsight, again, I now know about. 25, 80-something-year-old dancers that are doing very, very well. So, wow. yeah, you can dance forever. You're going to have to change the way you do it, but you can. Um, so, yeah, then I went to dance school um, and then, you know, we did, like, loads. We, we would do, like, three-hour improv jams and rolling around on the floor. It's exactly the contemporary dance um, <laughs> university you imagine. You know, we'd rock up in our pyjamas straight off the tube. Like, I brought beer to class a few times. Like, you know, it was Someone's lovely. got a copy of Proust in their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Or wearing black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, one thing you don't learn in contemporary dance school, because my, my school, it wasn't, like, um... If you go to dance school, you might be going to like a musical theatre school where you are trained in commercialism, basically. You are trained that you need to make money and the way you make money is this, this and this and this. In contemporary dance school, they are so anti-commercialism because we are supposed to be the, like, the next generation of like making the next star, producing the next thing, building the next whatever. And I was like, yeah, but rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I yeah. left school, like I was 
I was happy to do stuff, but I mean, back to the, the finances and things. Like, if you're a, a, a if you're starting out as a dancer, especially in contemporary dance, like you're lucky to be getting maybe four hundred fifty quid a week. Some in mm. some places, um, and same for like contemporary circus. When you start out, like if you're if you're going into contemporary circus, then yeah, it's, it can be really really like small amounts. Um, if you go into cabaret world, you can be getting anything like I would hate if anyone does this. So please don't undercut yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. But you can be getting about a hundred pound for like a quick gig, like a three minute performance up to maybe 250 or if you're doing corporates you can pay yourself more and you can also do several gigs in a night so let's say you you do three things at 150 then you've got 450 quid a night and you can do that thursday friday saturday sundays and a brunch so actually you can make a lot of money out of being a more commercial like cabaret artist yeah so it's different it's so interesting the attitude to that because what you were saying about what you were saying about the approach of contemporary dance of um, we're not going to be beholden to commercial restrictions we're going to be undiluted artistry and unrestrained and kind of really create like mm. um, yeah meaningful art I have been thinking about that a lot because um, <laughs> so what is meaningful this, art <laughs> well so I kind of feel like stuff that isn't um, necessarily preoccupied with the point of sale but I was just thinking about it because um, so so, uh, so one of the things I do is I co-host a monthly gig, which Lulu performs at regularly, called Alternative Comedy Memorial Society. And the <laughs> come, it's great. It's um, a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd love to. And the yeah, come along. Um, the ethos of it is whenever basically we want people to try stuff that's weird and wouldn't work Lovely. in a regular club. So whenever an act does their bit, we then come back on as hosts and we shout a failure, and the audience shouts back a noble failure because creativity <laughs> is messy and you have to be allowed to experiment oh, and to play. Oh, that's fantastic. And, I yeah, love that. It's really fun. It's and, um, really good because it's a space for people who don't do comedy as a, a, a commercially viable career choice. They just do it for the love of it. But it's also a space for people who, like me, who, you know, do play clubs or whatever to ha- to enjoy doing stuff just for them yeah 100 percent. and just test out like like my favorite thing that i've done at that gig still is i was in edinburgh and my show was like i was doing a show about turning myself into a lemon so it was already a bit weird <laughs> but it was essentially a sort of like autobiographical stand-up hour about okay. harassment gender blah 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 but wait I kind of hold like, on sorry just for what's it? wait hold on lemons oh, okay. and harassment <laughs> sorry how did they get married together for this so briefly briefly yeah, yeah, sorry Um, I did a show in 2017 which was about me turning myself into a lemon so it was an hour of me oh well I say that the show was meant to be 45 minutes it was anywhere between 25 and 55 minutes depending on how well it was going which now yeah now I'm a grown up and I understand more about timings (laughs) I would not do as much but um, (laughs) essentially it was like um, a lemon has thicker skin than a person it was about how I wanted to have thicker skin than I actually do ah um, and, very good yeah. it that was very silly yeah but my favourite yeah but it was the thing of like especially when you know it's like sometimes for whatever it is you do creatively sometimes you have to put it in job because you have other things going on in your life like right. for the Edinburgh show this year it was very useful for me to know that it's like there is a version on this, of this show that I can kind of do on airplane mode because I'm ill or, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's essentially just knowing like part of the professionalism is even when I'm not feeling 100% or I'm not feeling like creative or sparky, whatever, <laughs> I can turn up and do the job. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, for people who are doing stand up to, you know, feed kids and keep the lights on, yeah. it's really important to be able to rock up and, you know, have your club 20 and do your time, you know, and yeah. not betray the, yeah. you know, not portray that you've maybe outgrown the material or you're bored or you're having a complete personal life collapse in the background and right. I imagine that's true of any um, creative role is you're, you're like the thing that makes it I think professional is being able to turn up and do a good job when you're not in that like awesome yeah you're space not when in you're... the space for it right yeah yeah I yeah understand. totally yeah. when you're working but um anyway so during that Edinburgh Fringe when I was doing the lemon show every day um I which again I mean god what an absurd like oh god I had to do this lemon show but, like, but um <laughs> yeah it was still like I kind of had a finished product um in a way but um yeah I I was like 
it was getting me into a lot of material about like identity stuff, mental health, blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I had a spot at Alternative Comedy Memorial Society and I had all this writing and I thought, no. And I just put two like washing gloves, like two marigolds on sticks and I had them as my arms. And so I did a bit as like an impressionist, but it was just my arms were too long. So it was an impressionist just trying to do impressions of stuff, what but the, the arms were too long. Yeah, it was really <laughs> silly, but it's exactly what those kind of nights exist to enable is like, do you have a weird idea that you want to just like try and see what happens? And it was like, it was the most fun that I'd had in a while, just like trying yeah. something. Um, yeah, I get but that. I wanted, yeah, but I wanted to bring it back to a point about finances because I feel like, and I talk about this with Kelly a lot, I think that in anything that you're doing creatively, you need to have these pockets, right, where you can experiment and there's no kind of financial mm. expectation or da-da-da. Like, That's it's not, a very not, good point. Yeah, like it's it's not for any gain. You're just allowed to like go down dead ends and not make money. But my <laughs> background in terms of the live scene is I spent a lot of my 20s organizing in LGBT spaces or mm-hmm. sex worker spaces. Mm-hmm. So part of the creative producing on that was like, but getting people paid is part of the creativity in and of itself. So, oh my God, yes. Yeah, so I kind of, I don't know, I'm often I'm often feeling a bit stuck on how to reconcile those things because, I mean, essentially, I don't want to be part of propping up an art sector that is unaffordable for people to participate in. I kind or of feel like... Of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we have a responsibility to change the landscape a little bit um, yeah. and also sort of the development grant I mentioned part yeah. of what was such a gift of getting um, it's called a developing your creative practice grant yeah. um, I got this from Arts Council is when I was then experimenting with poll stuff I had to go down dead ends and also you know um, like if I was experimenting with stuff that for a performance that ended up not working, whatever, mm-hmm. I'd still needed to pay for studio hire for right. that time or exactly. travel or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I just, I needed that financial cushion mm-hmm. to be able to cr- like experiment yeah. and make mess. And yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, think, I feel like it's, yeah. <laughs> I think, no, but I think what a lot of people don't realize, so this is kind of showing back to my public showering posse. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like a, a lot of my podcasts, uh, especially when I first started, before I started interviewing people, was literally about <clears throat> how, to, how to make stuff because most people, my point is, and you sort of, before we started talking, Lulu, you're asking like, why is it called public showering? And like, my my theory about public showering is literally this: like, a lot of people are really nervous to go on stage and put their their whatever out there, whether it's uh, I don't know drama, comedy, art routine, you know, because whatever piece you make, it is a it is about you in some way. Like, even if it's not a character that is you; it's a piece of you, and you're putting yourself out there. But for most people, they can usually sing in the shower, sing in the kitchen, be naked in the shower, you know, be your best Britney self. You can do whatever in the shower because it's your space and it's your personal space and that and you whatever it is that's that's kind of a stage. So when I was trying to come up with a name for public showering or well the podcast, oh. that's what ah. it's called. Yeah, because my thought is like everyone's an artist, everyone can be an artist. You, you, you all do it like it is possible because um, even when so you're, I being, feel like you could all just hear the penny just dropping right, in my head. Literally, there. oh, like, shower in public. <laughs> in public yeah yeah because I think for us like you know comedians dancers performers like you know it's we basically we've just taken that homeliness and we've been able to put it on a stage and that's why the name public showering comes from basically but like sort of going back to what you were talking about um, Shan it's just like I think that a lot of people don't really understand how artists come up with stuff because it's sort of in two things like I didn't quite finish my story about how I got into the circus in the end like um, I after university like you know I'd been sent on this journey like right now go forth and, and make the art and of course the first thing you do is think oh shit how am I going to afford to even do this like if I want to make my own art I've got to now try and get money from people or use my own money which I didn't have because I just came out of university so the other way to do that is to try and find work obviously so either you go and try and do the work which is super underpaid or you go into commercialism and I didn't mean to do this because you know I was taking I was doing auditions because it was literally paying for class because you know uh, you know if you get through like a full day audition it can be like anything from two to eight hours it can be a super long day which is great when you've got no money because if I had to pay for eight hours of dance training that would be at least 12-15 pounds 
pounds an hour. So you know mm. what I mean? I'm 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 banking here. So I would go to auditions for everything. Wait, sorry, you get paid for auditions? No, you don't get paid for auditions. What I'm saying is, when you can't afford to even go to class, <laughs> go to an audition because it's free. Oh, okay, got you, got you, got you. I was like, wait, hang on, is this, the, the system is, has a muscle here. Yeah, I know, wait, hold on. I've only ever been paid for two auditions in my life, like, ever. And they were from giant companies because they can afford to do it, you know what I mean? Mm, and yeah. Because that's what I mean. But, like, from doing that, I I auditioned for um, Franco Dragon. I didn't even, I can't remember how I got the audition. I can't remember why I was there. Everyone's asking, oh, how did you find it? I'm like, I have no idea. I was just doing what everyone was doing and just trying to find auditions and trying to go and literally got through the audition they loved me and like okay how do you feel about moving to china and i'm like <laughs> yeah sorry okay. just because we're circus muggles what is franco dragona so franco dragon um so when obviously we all know about Cirque du Soleil and um, when Cirque du Soleil started making especially big water shows so the big Vegas shows so you've got um, Oh there was Le Rev that was actually Franco's show uh, Mystere is another one um, Franco was one of the I guess most poignant directors of Cirque du Soleil for over 10 or even 12 years and then um, Franco developed his own company and his first major show was Le Rev in, in Las Vegas and then mm. it was The House of Dancing Water which is in Macau which is the show that I did um, and Macau is about an hour away from Hong Kong um, and that show was running up until COVID and then the world ended. And then actually it's going to come back this year. But that was just the most bizarre experience of my life because I literally went from living on someone's sofa. Um, I was being a waitress like most people are when they're trying to be a jobbing artist in any in any form. Um, mm. I'd gotten out of my overdraft. So I literally arrived at this amazing warehouse in Belgium to do the training for the show with zero. Belgium, yeah. Belgium again, I know, right? Twice today. Um, <laughs> and I literally... Had, I'd I'd reached zero in my bank account and I was like mm. yes because it was the first time I'd been out of debt because <laughs> I'd worked my way through it and then this this is the ridiculous thing right literally zero money in my account I had one suitcase of clothes living on a sofa for at least three months got there they gave me 400 euros for the next two weeks in per diem a car a mobile phone a room there was already food in the kitchen and said when you're ready come downstairs because lunch is being served and I was like Kesko, what? <laughs> what? Kesko, the fuck. Kesko, <laughs> fuck, exactly. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I went downstairs into this humongous training space, and there was these five guys literally flying in, in straps above me in this incredible music that was, it turned out to be one of the straps after the show. And I just basically started crying because I was like, how, what is this? Like, can you imagine? Literally sublime to ridiculous, going from the poorest of poor artists to I'm now literally in the biggest show in the world at its time was the biggest show in the world and it's I was like because this is exactly this is exactly what happens when you get your first paid gig right Lulu you just end up in <laughs> yeah. a fully catered house in Belgium uh, you're given a phone and yeah. a car 400 euros a day we were waiting for yep 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 word for word <laughs> but you know what was remarkable about that to this day I've I've had the pleasure of working for Soda Soleil and other quite big companies and I've still never had that level of this is ridiculously great never never like it's mm. I, I was with that show for three and a half years and then um, which was great because once, you, once you're in the show like we did 12 shows a week most of the time uh, and the show's an hour and a half and when I, I was a dancer in that show not an acrobat I learned acrobatics whilst I was there um like you end up having actually free time to develop your own art that was the bizarre thing mm. like once you're in a safe place when you have a job then you now get to spend all your time going right what is it that i actually want to do like what mm. are the things and so it was it was it was just a great setup to a career to be honest and like i'm so thankful for having that ex opportunity because it's meant that everything afterwards I, I obviously saved a load of money like because I was this is the it was the most money I'd ever had in my life so I was like this is the one and only time this may happen to you and lo and behold it basically was so at least it meant that when the shit hits the fan which you know the world ending was one of them I had something to rely on and that that for me has definitely been the most amazing thing that's ever happened as an artist because that was just like a cushion that not everyone has so yeah that's yeah. that's amazing I, yeah. I mean also that like 
part of the fee, I guess, if you want to, like, in the most abstract way, or part of the offer, I guess, having uh, that free time to develop your own stuff. Mm. I think that's so interesting because, like, yeah, the sort of the jobbing artist experience of when you're doing what it is that you do to pay a mortgage or, you know, feed kids or what it, whatever yeah. it is, um, is very different from then being able to, yeah, kind of play and continue developing ideas. And also, I mean, um, I'd be really interested in what your experience of this is, but with stand-up not every style of stand-up but a lot of stand-up a lot of stand-up is quite autobiographical so right. you'll be talking about just like you know um stuff that's happening in your everyday life and often that gets outdated quite quickly like for example <laughs> there's a comedian called Ivor graham who did a, a really moving show about him and his partner trying for a child mm-hmm. um and then as he was touring it they had a child so <laughs> he was touring essentially I mean he acknowledged it you know there was a, a lovely twist at the end but Great. it was that thing of um, because the show that had been booked had already been like finished written about this experience he was touring a very like out of date show while his experience had shifted in the background but in a way like yeah the kind of um, not the contract exactly but a bit the uh, just the experience I guess of doing that style of performance mm. is it's like well you've got to change one of the wheels while the car is still rolling <laughs> you know and um and also like when you're touring your finished show where are you then gonna have the time to find the new material gigs or places where like i'm having the really nice experience at the moment of i'm mostly doing new material gigs because i'm prepping a club set to go on tour cool. and it's such uh like it's so fun <laughs> to just be playing with ideas with no stakes as well it's like oh i thought this was funny nope i'm yeah. wrong or oh i didn't think this would get a laugh but okay there's something kind of juicy here um, um, and um, but yeah, kind of. I feel like so much of doing creative stuff professionally mm-hmm. is it's like you've kind of got this ongoing pie chart of like, okay, this is yeah. what I'm doing that's making me money. This is what I'm doing that is creatively super interesting for me. Yeah. And then there's the little slice of like, and I must have some kind of a life. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think um, I think again for like public showering humans, like um, I think a lot of people are quite afraid to just do it really really wrong like kind of going back to to your your club night that you have um where people are allowed to just kind of fuck it up and just see if it works or not like i think it's it is really terrifying the the pole dancing world in terms of competition world because you're deliberately designed to not fuck it up because you're in a competition Mm. you're designed to to win and there's actually very few comps or experiences or showcases where you could just go out there and do something like really not right because it's it's quite a particular crowd and i think in terms of comedy in pole like um there isn't really a space there isn't actually well to my knowledge though if anyone knows please let us all know oh I mean listen it's on my like my list of things that I am too busy to do but is on the back burner I would love to organise some like work in progress gigs where people can try stuff yeah where people can try (laughs) stuff that's like in development Um, I've been so part of what I did with the Arts Council funding is developed comedy workshops for pole dancers but they were about failure and it was about like how can you um, overcome the fear a failure and bring more just like play and goofing around into your performances because yeah. we actually um, so me and Lulu did an episode of Pull the Other One with Aisha Gogo about yeah. competitions um, mm. and I mean it's very interesting what the overlap is between competitions in comedy world versus competitions in pole world um, uh-huh. because the understanding that I have I still feel like such a pole newbie but <laughs> competitions are one of the few places that you can actually perform as a pole dancer yes. Um, whereas that's not true for comedy like not every gig is a competition well not officially but um, (laughs) um, and yeah like I don't know Lulu if you'd agree with this but for comics to be honest competitions are about kind of earning stripes that help you get paid in other stuff or is that right? Yeah I think it's I I mean I think I talked about it in that episode but I I massively resent competitions but I did do a bunch of them mm-hmm. at the start because they can be very helpful in terms of if you're applying for better paid spots having it's very difficult to have a CV mm. when you start out as a comedian right yeah um, <laughs> and to convince a anyone to give you your first you know paid middle spot or whatever yeah mm. so they they are useful for that but um what's a paid middle spot um, so again, okay, there's like a people often ask like, how do you get into comedy? There is no one route. 
but the kind of standard progression is you'll do open mics mm-hmm. um, and then you'll do uh, and then there'll be a sort of uh, a club night bill or, or a bill that has paid positions where you might do an unpaid open spot in the middle and then you ah. might move to a paid middle and then after that you progress to opening which is actually the hardest mm. thing on the it's sort of the worst Ooh, yeah. bit of the trajectory and then obviously there's headlining and then in between that there's like emceeing and um you also get you mustn't assume that gigs uh where there's three acts the one in the middle is the least well paid sometimes they're all paid the same mm. uh-huh. um but yeah quite often the format will be like someone doing a 20 open and then you might have a 10 middle and then a 20 middle and then a headliner yeah so it's just you move up in terms of both pay scale and the amount of time you're I never realised what the hierarchy of a a, a club night was actually (laughs) that's not a hard and fast template but it's sort of how people get into it but yeah so it's very difficult when you want to move on to those pro bills Mm. to get a spot if you're new so I mean obviously the thing now is everyone has like clips and stuff and and it also kind of depends how many Instagram followers you have and all this things are changing um, I know I, I've just started posting clips of myself on Instagram and it makes me feel so gross and vulnerable but oh, um, yeah I get you yeah it's uh, it's it, the, the competitions are just one way of kind of getting attention from mm. others with that it is also kind of like to be honest I mean I, I, I got the impression from talking to a pole dance instructor that there's an overlap between how um, a studio owner might book instructors and a comedy promoter might book a night because for example I mean what you hope from everyone you're working with is that fundamentally they're just good at the thing you know and like (laughs) a really talented comic might not have you know like competition titles or you know like TV credits or other things that are kind of you know currency in this world (laughs) or like you know a five star review from whoever Um, but you might just really love their stuff and know that they're really good or they Mm. might just be a good fit for your night like you know for example i used to run um an alternative comedy night in a queer venue which eventually it basically kind of became an lgbt gig although i was trying to pull away from that so i was like hey if there's someone who's really good and they're doing material that's relevant to that experience then they're right for our night like i don't care Mm. if they haven't got a you know a good pull quote or any competition titles they're just good and we want to have them on Mm. um but um yeah like uh as lily was saying um if you go to a comedy club and there's like your opener who does 20 minutes and then your middle 10 spot and then da 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 and then a headliner the person who's the middle 10 that might be the point in the show where it's like oh this is someone who's a bit like weird and different but we want that to be like part of our night like Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've often um when i was doing slightly more surreal stuff i've often ended being on the place on a bill where it's kind of like and now miscellaneous and um, it's like like, okay this woman's gonna do a opera singing octopus for a bit and then we'll go back to (laughs) and then we'll go back to you know (laughs) normal comedy um but uh yeah but yeah as lulu was saying like that's a template that's good to have in mind and also you know like someone's club 20 is very much their bread and butter of how you earn money in comedy and um you know this industry sadly is shrinking and like no one's well maybe i don't know if it's shrinking but like you know we all need to be paid more but they're still you know people people who keep the lights on with comedy will be doing their club 20 maybe like two or three times on like a Thursday or a Friday night or on Saturdays like that's yeah. what you take around to the various gigs and yeah. yeah so that structure is useful to have in mind if you're a pro like and if you're um, yeah seriously making a living in comedy I guess this goes back to a question I had right at the start Sophie which mm-hmm. is um, how are people making money in the because I'm super not aware of either the whole world or the sex world so <laughs> how how are you making money at the in the in the sort of mid level? So you haven't gone and done this amazing show in mm. Macau. Like what are the what are the jobbing oh, okay. bits of income for, for both pole and circus people, I guess? Well I suppose actually I would probably be one of those mid level people because I guess if, if you're in something like Soda Soleil, you've you've got um you're a residency, you are literally in a resident show, so you go on tour with them. Like my fully enough I went to meet my friends who are in Alegria. We went to the pub the other day and they literally like, Oh yeah, we just came back from Japan and we just did this and la la la. <laughs> and it's I want to be clear to your friends, I thought it was an amazing show. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that I was dry heaving into my lap and nothing to do with them. It's just a no, exactly. grotesque moment. Mate, Honestly, it, that's how spending. Lulu expresses praise. If she 
yeah. he's driving heaving into your lap that's like it's, it's like a five star review yeah. from Luna Popple yeah. well um, but yeah I mean so if you're if you're in a residential like that then you've got like a full salary so in theory I would say that maybe you're the top of the top but I guess the next level of the top of the top is that you have sold an act to Cirque du Soleil and you're literally like selling shows or you're literally like one of the creators that's, that's like the next level because that's when you're really in the money being the artist not surprisingly is that like so if you're a if you're a resident on Cirque du Soleil if you're like you know part of their yeah uh, if you're part of them is that like if you're a panellist on Have I Got News For You it's like <laughs> oh I've got a secure job in this and I'm being paid properly yeah I suppose so because you got you have a career like most people that are doing tours like that or like my first contract in Macau with Franco Dragon it's a two year contract which mm. is like you know as an artist you don't get two year contracts like it's unusual or the only other similar thing is actually way back like I actually work in Romania quite a lot I work with a Romanian director there and um, a lot of the theatres there you actors would be would be put in a theatre and they would literally have lifetime contracts contracts you now work at that theater and you're there oh, for forever. real yeah and wow. then you have a, you have a paid salary forever until you decide not to um, but that actually is, is a proper throwback from like communist times like you were given this job and this is now your job now you live here Ta-da. holy shit <laughs> which in some ways I'm like I would love to be the resident of a theatre but you can still be a resident director for example like you can be an associate director of you know Sadler's Wells or the Royal mm-hmm. Opera House or something so it, yeah it feels like for actors the only equivalent and maybe this is where uh, maybe this is where UK communism exists is if you get a job on EastEnders and you're there right. for like a lifetime so yeah the until, communist republic until your character dies yeah yes. <laughs> yeah they do. I guess that would be in some way in terms of um freedom to exist forever <laughs> I guess that would be the top but like mid-level I guess is sort of like me like I think most artists um would probably have a mixture of their performing in something very frequently like some sort of residency like I, and for me mine would annoyingly well not annoyingly but bizarrely be in Berlin with Florentine Holzinger in mm. that ridiculous show so I go to Berlin um pretty much once a month for a minimum of two days normally sometimes it's longer like four days and I'll perform in that resident show but that's that's because the show that we made is a resident show in that theatre so every time the show's on all the artists all get flown in to perform in that theatre for those couple of days and then you leave but it means that the rest of your month you're like huh what else do I do so like Mm. right now I'm (laughs) <laughs> this is Sophie's CV of what the hell is my life so go to Berlin normally like yeah once a month um, I usually have a couple of cabaret gigs so I was working at Park Chinois which is a place in Mayfair I literally go with my aerial pole spin for three minutes and go home um, I've got a new gig at Rain which is a nightclub so that's going to be a nightclub event so again I'm literally going to spin for about two minutes at half one in the morning and then go home um, and you know these are the things that literally pay the rent but then I've also got my teaching gig so I teach aerial pole at the National Circus so then I'm there usually two or three times a week teaching that discipline um, and then I also teach at Kelly's studio so now I have you know that and if I can I try and get privates as well so that obviously I can you know just keep adding the money up and then on a completely different side now I have um my new uh, dance company uh, with my friend John uh, called North by North and we are we're the ones writing applications for stuff mm. so luckily we've got our first ever commission um, which is worth about eight grand which is nice um, in Nottingham but that's happening in July but yeah congrats yeah it's the first it's the first bit of money I've ever been given it's like ooh um, <laughs> so there's that and then and then I have my other random stuff like DJing and being a radio DJ which the DJing doesn't pay because I'm it's kind of like I guess what you guys are talking about with um, comedy when you first start you're basically doing f- free gigs to get your name there my radio show is is paid so like this this is literally the life of like a mid-level artist like I'm lucky that I've got this huge show in Berlin which literally once I do like two shows there and that's my rent paid basically because of mm. the because that is a grand scale but all of the other bits are the other bits that I just do and I think mm. a lot of people don't quite get their head around what a normal freelance artist life is and I'm, and I'm not special I'm not like a special no, individual here I guess here. why I was asking because like <laughs> when people um, most people when I say that I do comedy like they don't have a, a concept of what that looks like mm. unless you're an actively a comedy fan right. you don't really know what the landscape looks like and it is very bitty yeah <laughs> very bitty like, is a very good way to describe it yeah and it's like sort of uh, explaining that like well sometimes it's bits of writing and I'll do like an occasional acting thing and, and then cool. sometimes podcasting or what, do, you, do you know what I mean yeah but uh I realise that even though I understand that for myself, I have no idea what your bitty yeah. kind of um, 
life looks like even though it's very tangentially totally. linked so it's, also, it's fascinating to me yeah. there's two things um was, yeah like um what Lulu was saying about it's very bitty and people don't understand there's also i don't know if you find this sophie but there's often a bit of a disjoint from what looks like something very like successful and prestigious in the outside world and then what the actual reality is like like for example um i did a short for bbc3 which i was delighted about because it was like high profile i literally i was kind of mm. like i can't believe i'm finally getting to make something for the bbc and i'm recording I it i mean um, major with, with, so good but, but 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 i was recording it like we did it as like a parody zoom meeting so i filmed this thing <laughs> literally with my phone no! taped to my laptop no! and then a microphone like between my legs <laughs> on my lap um it also like you know it was paid but it wasn't paid like you know um no even even three months like living cost money it was paid a little bit but it was that yeah. thing of it's the thing of people go oh right you're you doing this TV. as a real job yeah and it's crazy and the actual you know the reality that, versus what people yeah, imagine. And, yeah and also not to like do down my work but that took so much less time to write and make than a lot of the other things which are really oh. really hard and then don't yeah. get the like it sounds so arrogant but the deserved kind of credit and the yeah. other thing is yeah I, mean, I completely agree with you, you just yeah. and also you don't have the support like when you work with the BBC or something like this like they have hundreds of people behind the scenes dealing with emails dealing with stuff whatever that you don't see so like your work even though it's just as good like the work you have to do on your own you are the director the producer the writer the sound designer you whatever else the poll roadie social the media roadie. manager gig booker <laughs> transport coordinator accommodation booker yeah 100% you're a million people in one and it's and it's, and it's absolutely knackering <laughs> yeah it's mad um, the other thing is and also please correct me if I'm wrong but I think that um, just answering like Lulu's question of what the sort of like jobbing role is of pole dancers I really think um Pole dancers teaching workshops in studios reminds me a lot of how comics tour, like their Club 20, because... Oh, really? Um, yeah, so, like, just, like, for example... Um I feel like when a studio announces they've got like Kitty Velour or Arlene Caffrey or Lauren mm. Lees or something, it's kind of the way a gig says like, oh, and our headliner is this person. It'll be like <laughs> someone who people recognize um, and also all of their own marketing imagery and stuff sells the workshop, right. which benefits the studio. And right. it feels so familiar to me the way a promoter will go, hey, come to our studio. And the kind of tantalizing offer is like, and these famous people will be teaching their yeah. workshop. Um, and also, yeah. I mean, I'm super biased because um, I love this person so much, but Arlene Caffrey did a bunch of uh, workshops at Venus, which I was very lucky to oh, cool. go to. Um, Arlene, I'm kind of like, <laughs> it's really cringe because we're actually friends now, but like, I'm kind of really starstruck <laughs> by her. She was the person who, um, I ended, like, I saw her as part of a showcase that I was just watching uh, online when I was in my parents' basement in Belgium. And when I saw her set, I honestly, it was like it, it was like the universe has shifted I was like holy shit I want to move like that like there was just something um, it's so it's so cringe but like I was just really shy when I met her I was like fuck you don't understand um, but um, yeah the way that she taught her workshop it was like it was kind of like a performance as well you know like all the students come in mm. and you're then like guided through this stuff but an Arlene Caffrey workshop, you're learning how to dance around the stick, but there's also so much like, there's like vibes, there's like movement, there's uh, her, yeah. like a whole literary thing. And um, it's similar with Kitty Velour, like, you know, a Kitty Velour pole workshop. It's like a 90 minute class with someone, but it's also, you know, you're getting that person's music playlist, like their personality, mm. like their history, their experience. And, yeah. and also a it's a similar. Yeah, 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 uh, exactly. Um, and I feel like what I've noticed is like, when people market their workshops, it seems like they really reach an audience if something honest about themselves kind of comes in. Right. Um, yeah, like, and um, and yeah, and also just, I mean, again, I might be out of date with this, but <laughs> someone gets paid between 200 and 300 pounds to teach a workshop, which is quite similar, hopefully, mm. to like doing your 20 in a club. So I feel like the sort of equivalent mm. of what comics do as their main kind of like bread and butter thing but which also requires them to just kind of say who you are you know and kind of bring to a bit of yourself to it yeah. it just reminds me so much of how yeah like when pole dancers are touring their workshops they're kind of being booked in a similar way to how a promoter would book people for a gig um and yeah and with those same kind of uh intentions and then also some of the things Lulu mentioned of well if you're booking a pole dancer who's got like squillions of social media followers that workshop is going to sell because right. people are like oh my god yeah I love yeah, them yeah, oh da, my da, god da. yeah yeah exactly yeah well 
I'm going to leave us there for a second because we can rub it on forever. So I want to change it because in our next podcast, I really want to talk more about basically humans making comedy and what is funny and also the characters that we make when we're making these things because that is the meat of it and that's my favourite part to talk yeah. about. Anyway, so I'm going to leave this there for now. So join us next time on Public Showering versus Paul the Other One with Sean and Lulu. I will see you very, very soon. If you're loving what you've been hearing in the Public Showering podcast, you have to experience Sadasi. www.soduncan.com slash Sadasi. It's the online community that is everything you've been hearing in public showering, plus so much more. It's where you can get one-to-one help bringing all these ideas to your own work. It's where you can learn new creative coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and chat with other Sadasi members just like you and help each other unlock your creative potential. It's fun, it's chill, and I'm there for you when you need that little bit of extra support. So come join us at www.soduncan.com slash It's been a pleasure to have you with me today. I'll see you there. Love you, bye-bye. <laughs>